Romans chapter 12 or open your tablets or cut it on or whatever way you, you've got it. If not, we'll have a copy of God's Word uh, as we uh, on our screen so that you can follow along with us. If you're online with us, welcome. We're glad you are joining in with us. Uh, today is the end of a six-week sermon series that we've been looking at the DNA of our church. We've talked about uh, a strategy that we have that has connected our mission, Love, Grow, Send. Uh, and so I want to challenge you, if you've missed any of those weeks, please go back and, and watch. We talked about eight hills to die on, not only what we're going to do, but the characteristic in which we want to do it. Biblical truth, authenticity, we want to be relevant, which means we want to be able to accomplish and do God's Word today. Um, we are alive today, so we have to accomplish His mission in this day. We believe in community and giving God our best. We want to reproduce, we want to be life-giving, and we want to celebrate transformation. So go back and listen to those if you've missed. We've been walking through it. Last week, we started talking in Romans chapter 12 about how we as God's people are called to follow Him and to be a living sacrifice. And the way that we're talking about it is that we don't want any more spectators. And part of discipleship we talked through is moving people from watching God to following God. And so we want to, a part of our process, we want to see more people who are, maybe you're watching online, you're here and you're checking in, and we want to help you move from spectator to Christ follower. Uh, but even as a Christ follower, it's really easy to go to church and to find yourself spectating and watching what other people are doing. And so Romans chapter 12 gives us um, maybe a thought on what we would call church mobilization. How do we mobilize the people of the church to go be the church? Now, we don't want to just be a church that's about the, the institution where we gather and focus on what we're doing here, but rather what God is doing in here amongst our hearts then happens and moves out there. So today we're going to be talking about, now I will warn you, we're going to get into some of the, the details of how this applies to our church. And so if you're in the first service and that live stream cut off, my bad, went a little long, but we're thankful that you're back in with second service. Amen? That's not a foreshadowing of what is to come. Here we go. So let's talk about Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3, as we think about no more spectating and how can we mobilize our people to go be the church. Here's what he says, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. So let me start with, with point one and, and why I think this is a, a big deal and I don't wanna shortchange this point. If we do not get this right, we will, we will not accomplish anything else. If we do not get point one, well, there's no point in talking about mobilization, no point in talking about going and being in the church. If we don't get point one, we will get nothing else and that is that the gospel alone produces a humility to serve. You see, for you to use your gifts for the glory of God, then you have to know what your gifts are. But for us to know what our gifts are, then we have to have the right heart posture before God. We will never learn what the gifts are that God has given us if we don't have the right heart posture before God. And here's why. Because a heart that's not right before God affects our mind and how we think about God and affects our eyes and how we see everything else. So when we begin to talk about, he begins saying, hey, before I call you to use your gifts, it first starts with having a humility before the Lord to not think of yourselves more highly than you should. You see, this is the opposite. There's pride, which elevates the way that we think about ourselves, or that we think about ourselves just too much. And then there's humility that sees ourselves rightly before God in light of who God is and what he has done. Let me say it this way. Unhealthy mindsets kill churches and church members. Let me say it again. Unhealthy mindsets kills churches and church members. Unhealthy mindsets flow out of an unhealthy heart. This is why God doesn't only care for us to grow crowds, but he also cares for us to make disciples. We don't only want to grow wider, we want to grow deeper. And this is growing into maturity. And growing into maturity deals with the heart issue. You see, most of the time, the heart of the matter is the heart. We spend a lot of time in life trying to address fruit issues when the reality is there's most often deeper heart issues. And the gospel addresses the heart and out of that then allows us to think rightly about God and 
others. See, the gospel alone brings about humility. Here's why. When we think about the gospel, the gospel is the good news that God in our sinfulness, our sin separated us from God. And then the good news is that God saw our sinfulness and he loved us so much that he left heaven and came to earth. And Jesus, living a perfect life, died in our place. He took all of our sin upon himself and he died on the cross for our sins. And when he died, he paid the payment. The wrath that God had toward us and our sinfulness, Jesus stepped in and took the wrath of God upon himself for us. And he died so that we then could have his righteousness and he could pay for our sin. See, what becomes good is that three days later when Jesus rose from the dead, it was a sign that death and hell had been defeated and whoever places their faith in Christ and receives his sin debt that had been paid for, his, his sacrifice, the person that places their faith in Christ then gets the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel or good news. And you say, well, how does that produce humility? You see, if we do not have humility, we will not be happy on the field or on the team. The gospel reminds us that the only way that we are even a part of the family of God is because of what Jesus did on our behalf. Listen to me, some of you, you might feel like you were born into the team, but you didn't just get born into the team because you've been in church since you've been alive. Or maybe some maybe think, well, I've earned my way onto the team. I'm such a good person. That doesn't get you on the team. You see, the gospel, he says, it is a mirror that shows us who we really are. And who we are is a people who are sinfully separated from God. And yet it allows us then to see that in our brokenness, in our inability to get to God, he came and died in our place and has now given us new life. And a part of that new life is that we get to be on the team. We get to be on the family of God. You see, the gospel reminds us that not only do we get to be on the field, but we get to, to be, be on the team and, and use our gifts. Let me tell you why humility is so important. Because if we do not have humility, humility is seeing ourselves rightly not overly elevating ourselves and not thinking of ourselves too highly, here's what will happen. Without the gospel producing humility in our life, you will not only not be happy that you're on the team, you will be upset about the position you play on the team. And we've all like been a part of people like that, right? They, they played sports and they're like, yeah, I knew I was gonna make the team, you know, and, and probably now with, you know, there's less tryouts. Everybody gets to be a part of the team. So there's all these people like part of the team and, and they're like, yeah, I'm so good. Like I didn't, you know, I tryout was like a formality. Like I'm part of the team. Like, hey man, good, good for you. And then, then, you know, you go through practice and coach is like, all right, here's the lineup. And they're like, all right, so-and-so, you know, you're going to be playing left field. And he's like, left field. I don't play left field. I'm a pitcher. Yep, you used to pitch whatever that was, but you don't pitch anymore. You play left field. No, 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 I play left field. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. I'm a left fielder. I'm, I'm a pitcher. I'm confused. No, no, no. You're not pitching. You're playing left field. Okay, coach, listen, here's the deal. I don't have to pitch, but when I don't pitch, I play shortstop. Sorry, bud, you're not playing shortstop. Why? You're slow. No, 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 coach, I'm going to play shortstop. You're not going to play shortstop. I'm thankful that you know how to catch a ground ball. Catch him in the outfield, son. You're playing left field. And so now they go out there and they're out in left field. And they're like, First time shortstop makes an error, what happens? I would have called that. I wouldn't have made that mistake. I'm better than he is. And then he's like all upset. And here's, you know what happens? Like, I tell you what, coach, here's the deal. I, you know what? I'm a shortstop. I'm going to tell my dad. I'm going to get my dad on you. And now coach was having this practice with his parents. Like, he plays shortstop. We have paid like thousands of dollars. Yep, that's right. But he is slow. He's playing left field for me. I'm the coach, you are not, he's playing left field. Teach him how to enjoy where he can thrive. See, what happens when we overly elevate ourselves is one, we lose sight that the only reason we get to be a part of the church is because of the work Jesus did on our behalf. Listen, we should never get over the fact that the only reason we can take the Lord's Supper today is because Jesus died in my place. I'm not over the fact that I even get to be a part of the church. I'm a part of the team. I have a seat at the table. This filthy, rotten sinner who is separated from God because of the work of Jesus, I get to be a part of the church. We should never get over that. 
pride elevates us to where we think, man, I've got this thing figured out, boy. I've had a seat at the table so long, I not only have a seat, I get the seat. Church, listen to me. The only person who has the seat, his name is Jesus Christ. And what happens is pride elevates us to not only believe that we've earned our spot, it'll then also make us upset about what we are doing. Well, I, you know what happened? You'll find out what your gift is. You'll go take some spiritual gift test and it'll say, hey, you have the gift of encouragement. What? I don't want encouragement. I'm a leader preacher. Nah, bro, you're an encourager. We've heard you preach. It ain't preaching. Everybody doesn't have the same gift. Listen, hear me. I'm not gonna be your worship leader in song. It ain't gonna happen. Now, I'm gonna let it rip down there on the front row, and I'm so sorry, praise team, if you hear my vocals. If you notice while I'm down here singing, I keep checking my mic like crazy. This thing all the time, like, okay, okay, is this thing off? Because what y'all don't know is with my mic, even though uh, while I have it, if I don't cut my mic off, even though they've cut me off up there and they're in ears, they will hear me singing. You're talking about throwing somebody off. Imagine me while you're up here trying to lead worship in your ear hole singing. Let me tell you what's happened. It's going to be bad. You know why? Because that's not my gifting. That's not what God's called me to do. You see, putting people at the right seat on the bus produces joy and fruitfulness. But if we have too high of a view of ourselves, we will find ourselves trying to tell God what position we believe is best. I don't wanna be in the background, I wanna be front and center. I don't wanna be front and center, I wanna be in the background. Some of you right now, you know good and well God's told you to teach. You know good and well God's gifted you to sing or lead worship. You know good and well God has gifted you to, to do more than what you're doing, but you're too busy arguing with God what you think you're best at. But he formed you, he made you. So humility is thinking less of ourselves and less about ourselves. And so it's saying, Lord, I don't wanna think too highly of myself. Lord, I, I just, I wanna think about you. You see, we will never, ever have contentment with a high view of ourself. I know everybody says, you need to work on your self-esteem. You need to work on building yourself up. You wanna know how we're ultimately built up? When we are built up and strengthened through the gospel and the spirit of God in us then we no longer evaluate who we are in light of who other people are. Our identity is now found in Christ and in what he has done in me. So my value is not what you think about me, it's what God has done in me and how God wants to use me for his glory. You see, without humility, we will view ourselves highly, but not honestly. Man, you've, you've had like this like blind 360 peer review where people like fill out a peer review and they don't tell you, you know, it just like comes in and, and 18 of those will be done and all 18 will tell you the same thing and you'll read that thing with pride and you'll say, that ain't true. All 18 people are wrong. But with humility, you look at it and say, okay, God, teach me. Lord, Lord, show me how I can be who you've called me to be. So he starts with humility because without that, it doesn't matter if you find out what your gifting is. And it doesn't matter if you wanna be a part of, of the team and use your gift for the glory of God. With pride, we will fall. And, and it will lead to, to you falling. You see, the gospel gives us an honest view of ourselves, yet it doesn't crush us. When we look into the mirror of the gospel, we see who we really are and it doesn't crush us because we see all that Jesus did so that I could be made right and whole and good in the image of God. You see, the world is scared. Well, if we know all the faults about ourselves, then we're just gonna think badly about ourselves. I'm just gonna be a nobody. Hey, the only reason we become a somebody is because of the one who left heaven and died in our place. The gospel transforms our view of self and now we find strength and value and encouragement, not discouragement in our brokenness, but now we find encouragement in that God is the healer of all things broken. God said, I'm making all things new. You're not the same person you are today as you were before Jesus. He's still working all those cracks and brokenness. He's still working on our man pride. He's still working on our leadership abilities and he's still working. Listen, I, I love listening to my kids pray and we try to videotape it because as they get older, we're hearing them pray different and more ornamental and, and it's awesome. We love it. 
And God has done and is doing that work in many of you as well. He's growing you and he's maturing you. It cannot happen without humility. Think about like the most popular Bible verse right now during political campaigns for Christians. Second Corinthians, Second Chronicles 7.14. Anybody know it? Second Chronicles, let's say. If my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and pray, if they will humble themselves and pray, if they will seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, then, he says, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. You see, fruitfulness always begins with humility. It always begins with humility. A right view of who God is and a right view of, of who I am. Man, if we want God to heal our land, it starts with God healing me. And the only way God can heal me is for me to humble myself in front of him. You see, he noticed in this text that he tells us that we are to think sensibly. Look, he says, instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. God has, has given us a measure of faith, so we're to think sensibly. Notice he doesn't say that we're to, to think emotionally. Not emotionally. Anybody ever been led by your emotions? Like last night during the football game? Don't lie. Yeah, your emotions were there. You were absolutely ready to go after it for whatever reason. Look, the other day I was driving and I was at, uh, as I was driving, there was, it was like bumper to bumper. So there's a car right beside me, two cars like right behind us. And this car decides he's done with traffic. So he whips around into a turn lane and dives right back over in front of, of me, like cuts me off. And he decided to give me the, I'm his number one person in life motion and let it be known that he was not happy that I had a half of a car length between me and the car in front of me. So I'm like, no, he didn't. This joker is like angry. At that moment, I just happened to have the spirit of God take over my entire mind, thought process. I felt like Jesus kicking. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden, I look over beside me and this car beside me is like, oh no, he didn't. And he gets mad. So he looks over at this cat and he gives him, you're my number one fan. And he's letting him know right beside me. And I'm like, oh junk. And then I, it's slowing down. I look in my rear view mirror and the person behind me, they're ticked off. I'm not even mad. He cut me off. They're mad. So they start honking on their horn for me, letting them have it. And I'm like, that's right, Lord, you'll get them. I don't even have to do a thing. I'm just sitting right here smiling. Everybody around me is like ready to fight the battles, boy. Next thing you know, I look back and the other person at the corner is like, heck no, I'm not letting him give him the finger and him on the horn. I'm mad too. So all of them are mad and letting this cat know, you don't do that. You don't cut a line. This ain't elementary school. And all this anger is rolling. And all the time, the person who cut me off forgot that they had their church sticker on the back of their car. It wasn't Shirley Hills or there would have been church discipline involved in that whole situation. <laughs> Could you imagine how awkward that would have been to tell your pastor he's your number one fan? I've never been so thankful we did not have church stickers and then in that moment. But his emotion took over and I'm sure as he drove off there was like embarrassing like kids are in cars and adults are screaming. I'm like, guys, it ain't, it ain't. Like, what's happening? Emotions, we're driving. And he says, don't, don't think emotionally. Think sensibly. Brothers and sisters, we are not professionals. We are Christ followers. We're not perfect. We're striving to make the name of Jesus known. So let, let God guide us as we think who we really are. He says, notice here he doesn't say think traditionally. Just do what you've, you've always done. Do what you've been raised to do. Hey, look, let's just be honest. For some of us in this room, you're watching online or you're here, You've been raised to live life wrongly. The way that you are taught to go about things does not line up with the word of God. So you're not to think and let tradition guide you and what has been passed on to you, but rather you're to think of yourself humbly in light of who God is as a church family. We don't do just what we have always done. We say, God, what do you tell us to do? And we're gonna go about that. And so we're not also thinking selfishly. Notice he doesn't say, hey, do what's in your best interest. Do what you like the most. Do what you think elevates you the most. Because at the end of the day, so I heard it said last week, I bet I heard this a hundred times, like all week long, that inevitably most of us make decisions based off what benefits us the best. What's best for me, what I like the most. Yet that's not what he says, is think sensibly, 
humble yourself. The gift that God's given you, it's not about making you the happier. So that what, it's you exercising the gift that God has given you for his glory. And what you will find that when we humble ourselves, and when we understand that God knows more than we do, we will find more joy in the center of his will. One day in his courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. And it starts with us being a humble people for him. Lord, maybe that's your prayer right now. God, would you help me to think sensibly? I'm not really thinking sensibly about some of these things. I'm emotional driven. And, and so God, help me here. Lord, help me to, to be humble. And, and so he, he starts on humility, but now look how he begins to build. He says, now, based off this, God has given us a measure of faith. Each one of us has a measure of faith. Now he then builds to verse five and says, or verse four, now as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So I want you to see here is, is how he's moving. Okay, we're now humbled before the Lord. God, you are great, I'm small. You are big, I'm small. What do you want for you and your name, your renown, your glory, now Lord? Here I am. And, and so you, there are one body, but many parts. So here's what I want you to see is that the gospel produces unity, one body, and simplicity. Now you read this and you're like, wait, how is this simple? Because he talks about how there's a bunch of parts. That does not seem, doesn't seem simple to me. It actually seems complicated. But what he does is he takes the complexity of the movement. Understand the gospel is now spreading. Thousands upon thousands of people have come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. We're talking the gospel is advancing faster than Paul can get somewhere. It's bigger than him. You're like, well, once again, that seems complex. He takes the complexity of all the moving parts of all the people following God all over the place and the spirit of God moving and he brings it back and he says, yet we are one body doing one work, we're, we're to do one thing. Every gift, every talent, every person that we have in this place, all of our function, all of our form, all that we're doing is, is really boils down to, to one thing. We're to go make disciples to the ends of the earth. Every talent, every gift that we have, it is to be a part of the church to make the name of Jesus known to the ends of the earth and to help people follow him and make disciples too who will make disciples. You see, the gospel produces unity and simplicity. Church, listen to what I'm about to say. In Christ followers, I really want you to hear me. Growth is never automatic. I think there's this idea that if we will just lead somebody to Christ, then man, that's it, we're done. Man, that, but it's not. How many people in your life you came to know the Lord and then you didn't grow? There wasn't growth in your life for like a long period of time because we thought the work was done, but coming to know Christ is the beginning of it. Church, hear me. Shirley Hills, hear what I'm about to say. Growth to our church is not automatic. It's not automatic. It used to be, the church used to live in an age where if you build it, they will come. If you build your, build your church tall enough and put a steeple on it, people around that place will come to that church. But we no longer live in that age. If we believe because we build a building and we put a steeple on it that people are gonna come here, we've missed it. Now, I hear this often, and I wanna correct this, not just, I, I don't really hear it much in our church, but I hear it a lot when I talk to, to people who are part of churches and other pastors. They say, you know what, it's really hard because I find that a lot of our church members look out at the world and they say, you're broken, you're sinful, you need to get right and come to us. But what we'll find is that God did not do that to us. He looked at our brokenness and looked where we were, we were in our sinfulness and he left heaven and he came after us. And in the same way, he says, church, now you who have been humbled, I have done this work in you. You go do the same work in other people's life that I've done in you. You go to them. Growth is not automatic. No, no, no. We all have a function or a thing that we are called to be living out, gifts to be used. And if we don't use them, we cannot assume that we'll just show up on Sunday, preach the word, do nothing, and then, man, the movement will grow. You see, God wants to grow it through you and I. Churches typically, typically, if left alone, will drift toward three things. Let me give them to you really quick. Churches typically drift toward complacency, complexity, and decline. How many times in your life when you just were not really taking initiative in your walk with the Lord that you found yourself complacent in your walk with God? 
Listen, how many of you here or are watching online as a part of Shirley Hills would say that there's been a time in your life as a Christ follower and a member of the church where you were complacent? If we do not allow the Spirit of God to take initiative in our heart, we will grow to complacency, we'll move and we'll become complacent. Not only that, we will then grow complex. By the way, complexity is one of the silent killers of organizations, churches, movements. We're seeing this in our country right now. Over time, churches naturally become more complex. Over time, you, you can't help it. You add new rules, new guidelines, new processes, new ways of doing things. And then the longer that the church is alive, we add those things on top of each other. And if we're honest, we're a lot more comfortable with adding new guidelines or ways, but less comfortable taking them away. Here we are in our country, the longer our country is alive, we have new laws, new stipulations, new statutes, new ways of doing things, so much so that we have laws stacked on top of laws, stacked on top of laws, stacked on top of laws, that if we're honest, half of us, we don't even know what the law is anymore. Because over time, it's grown more and more complex. What started with kind of some basics now has built over, now there's statutes and now we've got where a Supreme Court decision becomes like insane because, well, we're trying to figure out what our own laws say because we have so many of them, we can't quite figure out what they even mean. And if we're not careful, this can happen in your life as a Christian. Church, listen, some of you right now, what is stifling your walk with God is you've made it too complex. You gotta simplify this thing. Man, God unifies us and then he simplifies it. Look what he says. We're all made different. We have a function or a part. So love God and then love people by using your giftedness. It's pretty simple. Man, you've got Bible studies on top of Bible studies on top of this. You, you've got like 18 things, six things here, two podcasts, 11 things, sermon church. Here's what's happening. You're putting so much spiritual food in your mouth, you can't chew it. I was that kid. I wanted to go play. So I ran to the table, threw everything in my mouth as fast as I could and I went and played. You know what? I choked. Next thing I know, mom's over there like breaking out the Heimlet and I'm shooting peas out. Why? Because I thought if I can just get it all, that's gonna, that's gonna help, but it's not. See, some of you, you've made it too complex. You've added eight Bible studies and three different things and, and you've missed what it's really about. There are two ladies in the Bible. One lady was doing all of this work because Jesus came to her house and another lady that was sitting at his feet and Jesus told her, your story will be told. Why? Because it's more about sitting at the feet of Jesus than it is all the things that we try to make church life about. We can do all the things, but if we don't sit at his feet, we've missed it. You see, he brings out of complexity, unity and simplicity. Craig Rochelle and his leadership podcast, you should listen to it if you're into leadership stuff. He says, if we're not intentionally preparing for growth, then we are unintentionally in decline. If we are not intentionally preparing for new believers and new growth and processes on how to do it, then we're missing it. Unity and, and simplicity. United together in Christ and do the thing that he's called us to do together and with our gift. You see, the larger the church, uh, the bigger it gets, the more complicated things that can get. So we have to then intentionally work to make them simple. Growth creates complexity and complexity kills growth. So in your spiritual life, the more you grow, the more you are gonna be tempted to make it complex. Keep it simple, stupid. Kiss it. Kiss it. Stop making things so, so complicated. Sit under his word. Find a worship service to be a part of. Find a group to grow with. And find a place to use your gifts to love others for the glory of God. Now, unnecessary complexity will kill growth. The early church was exploding. So how were they able to keep reproducing? Because they, the leaders kept it simple. They kept going back to the simplicity. How did they handle the growth? Pharisees had rules, all these people had rules. Man, they kept saying, no, love God, love your neighbors. Love God, love your neighbors. You can only, don't go through me, you're a kingdom of priests. Love God, use your gifts. So for us, one church, use your gifts. So hear my heart. As your pastor, I will always fight for organizational simplicity. Maybe because God made me a simple man. Maybe your pastor has a very simple mind. Uh, but 
if, if it cannot be explained to our children and our students, then we've made it too complicated. And so we wanna keep things as simple as we possibly can. Uh, in a complex world that is growing even more complex, I believe the gospel and the church should continue to expand and to declare the gospel of God as simple as we possibly can. Now, some of you have heard that this Wednesday we have a church conference. And in this conference, uh, one of our committees, our leadership search committee, is responsible for all the committees that we have within our church. We sent this letter out in our church echo. If you do not receive the echo, uh, reach out to us. We'd love for you to be a part of it. If you get the echo and you do not read it, well, read it. In this letter, they communicated that part of what we wanna do is, is some of our committees, we want to make them teams. So I wanna take a second and communicate why I personally, this is me, the team will lead Wednesday and share you know, all the work that they've been doing for over, over a year. But for us, it's about trying to be as effective as we possibly can. We're not getting rid of anything. We're actually renaming some of our committees to teams. And the reason why is because our constitution, it requires for you, if you are on a committee, you have to be a member for a year. Uh, there are certain guidelines. You commit to a three-year term. Uh, so when you say yes to serve on the thing, I'm serving for three years. And so what we wanna do is simplify some of that, especially as we prepare to be a multi-site church. We realize that for some of you, you've, you're new to our church and you have gifts that God has given you. And we want you to be able to serve quickly. Uh, and so, man, we wanna do that. But we also believe in pouring and valuing uh, pouring into leaders. So what that means is we might have a team and we want, a, we want that to be led by somebody that that is their passion. Let me give you an example. We wanna have a missions team. So we want somebody that would say, man, I love missions. It is my jam and God has called me to be a leader. And so I wanna jump in there and anybody else that wants to help our church execute missions, let's roll. And someone else is like, well, that's my passion, go. We don't want you to delay in that. We don't want you to also make a three-year commitment to missions, and then you jump over on the missions team and go, whoop, not my jam. You're like, whoa, you know, like, that is not my thing. Hey, some of you, you love to decorate. Any ladies out there like love to decorate? Come on, throw your hands up. Yep. Some of y'all like, I'm scared because he's about to throw me on a team right now. Yep, there's a camera back here. We took your picture. We got you. Just kidding. Some of y'all are like, for real? No, that was a joke. That was a joke. Some of you, we have a decorating team. It used to be a committee, it's now a team. And so uh, Pastor Chris leads that, decorating teams, getting ready for Christmas or different things. You might say, I love decorating, throw me on the decorating team. It is a gift God has given me. And then you get over there and you realize you don't like decorating a whole campus. You like decorating your living room three times a year. And so we don't want you to make a three-year commitment for something that you're still learning if it's your passion or not. We want you to be able to jump on decorating team and go, mm, yep, sorry, that's really not my jam. Let me get back over here and let me work here and in this place. So having teams is more about creating a simple, flexible method to get more people in our church involved in using their gifts for the glory of God. So this is service-based. Where, what do you like, how do you like to serve? So those teams are not decision-making teams, those are serving teams. So you go serve and decorate, you don't have to make all the decisions, you just go use your gifts. You go use the talents that God has given you. And so uh, we've had questions about that. We want to be simple and as effective as possible. When you're going through Pastor Jason's new member class and learning about our church, he wants to help you figure out where you gifted. And so what are you interested in in our church and how can you immediately use those gifts for the glory of God? The last thing we want for some of you is to be unbelievably gifted by God, but because out of nervousness of getting involved in the church, fear of the process, scared of words called committee, you don't get involved. I've heard it said like this, Adrian Rogers said every single Sunday, there's gold in the pews. The problem is we fail as a church to mine it. Man, part of what we're doing right now is mobilizing as many people in our church to use the gifts God has given you. We want to give authority and influence away for you to take our church and use your gifts and go declare the glory of God. So God, the gospel produces unity and yet also simplicity. Many different parts, one body. Number three, the spirit then develops you. I think it's important. What you need to understand that he's talking about here is that it's the Holy Spirit that is developing us into mature believers. 
Uh, if you look in the passage, he says once again, and I love it, he says that there's this grace, according to the grace in verse six, according to the grace given us. What is that grace? The grace that is given us is we get what we don't deserve. And so what we get is one, we get the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We get the Holy Spirit of God. Many people call these spiritual gifts or grace gifts. When you are saved, the Spirit of God comes into your life and you are supernaturally given gifts for the common good of everybody. Think about this. God created you for good works. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 2. For we, in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. I want you to let that sink in for a second. Before the foundation of the world, God knew how you would be equipped and gifted and he had works ready for you to do. That means that God created you uniquely gifted for you. Listen to me, church. I will never forget my mom. When I surrendered to the ministry and her face began to well up with tears, it is ingrained in my mind. Here's why. My mom said, Jacob, I never understood my whole life how, why you were the way that you were until now. I'm like, what do you mean, mom? I'm like, this is gonna be so great and encouraging. Here we go. She says, well, son, your whole life you have been so loud. Like every time we would go out to eat, everywhere we would go, I'd be like, Jacob, shh. And I, listen, my whole life, I heard, shh, be quiet, shh, be quiet. Jacob, you're too loud. And she said, and then you were always the kid that just, you had so much energy. It never stopped. Like, I, ever. I, I didn't think you were gonna go to sleep. You slept terribly. You were just full out on go all the time. It never stopped. And then, not only that, she said, not only are you loud, and not only did you have all this energy. She said, but, but then, I also noticed that throughout your whole life, somehow, whether you... You didn't try it. You just always became the person that was like leading something. You didn't mean to, like if you were in a class assignment and it was a group setting, you became the group leader somehow. You became that person. Just I never understood how those things, because Jacob, you were so energetic and so loud, I didn't understand how it was gonna work. But now with tears in her face, she's like, now I get it. God has called you to be a pastor and you're gonna have to speak. I cannot tell you how many times I've preached outside where there was no microphone and my loud voice, I went, God said, that's why. I understand, my wife still to this day, Jacob, you're preaching to the whole restaurant. I look up, everybody's looking. I'm like, that's right, baby, y'all just heard Jesus. Come on, who wants to talk? We got some bread, join in. But it's God that did that. To be a pastor, it requires go nonstop in energy that is not in and of yourself. Then when the Lord, came into my life and I got saved and I started learning some of these other gifts that God had given me, I understood that I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that I'm doing the thing God gave me breath to do. And there is a joy, even in a lot of bad Mondays, to know that you're doing what God has called you to do. Some of you, you need to understand that God has created some things for you to do. Do them. Be, be you. Live out your gifting. Let me show you how he says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're in Romans 12. 1 Corinthians 12 says it this way. Now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. A manifestation of the spirit. The spirit of God is given to you. Everyone, those gifts show up differently and it's for the common good of everybody. So when you use your spiritual gifts, it builds up the church and it is good for everyone. To one is given a message of wisdom through the spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, Though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all given one spirit to drink. And so that, the spirit of God is this grace gift that we've been given. And in that we have gifts that are to be used. Complexity, all of us have different, we all have these different gifts. 
but yet we are one body and one faith, one God for his glory, simplicity. So it is the spirit of God that's gonna develop you and grow you and show you these gifts and things that you have. How many of you know about the story of the horse secretariat? Anybody, horse secretariat? Uh, in 1970s, uh, there's a horse named Secretariat, and horse racing was huge, and, and he was a sprinter. He could fly. He was by far the fastest sprinting horse. And in 1973, he became the first Triple Crown winner. And, and the last race of the Triple Crown was the Belmont Stakes. The Belmont Stakes is a mile and a half race. And a lot of people were worried and concerned because for Secretariat being a sprinter, if he took off sprinting like he normally does, well, one or two things is gonna happen. He was either on the turn, the last leg of the race, he was gonna run out of gas and just fall short and, and he would get past, he wouldn't make it. So they're like, he better pace himself. Or he will sprint and he had such a drive to win as a horse that he would literally, if without the right, uh, the right person riding him, he, then he would literally kill himself. He would race so hard as a horse that his heart would explode and he would die. And so everyone was gathering to see, it was probably the largest race. I mean, they're watching on and they're looking in at the Belmont Stakes and Secretariat takes off. Here he goes running and he's sprinting, he's gone. He's left all the horses. And everybody's like, you can literally, there's a sigh. Everyone's like, what in the world? What is this jockey doing? Why is he running this way? He's going to either die or he's, he's just not gonna make it. He's gonna give up on that last lap. He's way ahead of all the horses and he gets to that last turn and they're like, here it goes. He's about to get out of gas. He's about to stop. But you know what happens? Instead of slowing down, instead of keeping pace, Secretariat picks it up and literally finishes it even faster. His heart did not explode. He lived and he won by 31 lengths. The fastest ever time at the Belmont Stakes, the record is still there and it will probably never be beaten. You know why? When, uh, when he passed, when Secretary died, they wanted to do an autopsy on his body to find out what made him the way that he is. As they did this autopsy, they found out that the, the normal thoroughbred horse has a nine pound heart. But Secretariat was born with a heart that was not swollen or too big. It was, he just had a symmetrical, large heart that was 21, 22 pounds. So what that meant is that he was formed, he was made to be able to run and sprint and his blood could pump more, uh, more oxygen to his, his muscles so he could hold a sprint longer because he was anatomically made to be a running horse to be a sprinter. God made him that way. Now, could you imagine if somebody, when, when he was just kind of going along and they're like, oh, he's such a pretty little horse. I tell you what, he should be at the fair and kids should ride him like in that little circle thing. Like they, kid, people will pay and ride him a little round. Could you imagine what would happen? There'd have been kids flying all over the boat. <laughs> because he was made, he was created to run. He was made he was built to do a certain things. Believers, you have been uniquely gifted by God. You have been built to do certain things. You see, the unity of the church is found in different gifts and the diversity of gifts that we have, but working together to make the same Jesus known. So he goes on to say, for some of you, if it's teaching, teach. If it's leading, lead. Use the gifts that God has given you for his namesake. If it's exhortation, then exhort. Giving, do it with generosity. If it's leading, do it with diligence. If it's showing mercy, do it with cheerfulness. You see, this is called church mobilization. When the Spirit of God mobilizes the church to go and to use their gifts for the glory of God. I wanna close out our time answering some questions that I've been asked as we begin to send and, and launch and go as a church. One of the questions I've been asked is, why did we change the, the title of uh, our worship position that we're looking for? It was, it's always been a worship pastor position, and now we've changed it to a director of worship and creative arts. I wanna share with you why I think that's important. Why is it not a, a pastor? As we walk through the scriptures and we think about what it means to be a pastor, God has called pastors uh, to lead and to shepherd the flock, to make decisions 
toward vision and, and direction to oversee the body. Now, as a group of pastors, as we walk through the scriptures, we believe that it calls pastors to be men. He says that there's neither Jew nor Greek, nor, there's no man nor woman, there's slave or free, that God wants to work in all of them. He's exactly right. As we think about the scriptures, it says in Genesis that he made man and woman in his image, and in his image, he created them. So in the eyes of God, there's no difference at all between man and woman, Jew, Greek, slave, free. We are all co-heirs of Christ, image bearers of God, yet we believe for the office of elder and pastor, same thing synonymous in the scriptures, that that is to be led and held by men. We believe, though, that there are a lot of gifted women in the church. Amen? Men? Amen? If you're watching online here, just exactly where I think women can do a lot more in church than they maybe have always been given opportunities to do. And so my little girl, she asked me all the time, Daddy, what can I do? And I'm like, well, I believe God's called men to be pastors. She's like, well, what about me? She's like, well, one day when I grow up, can I lead like children and talk to them about Jesus? You better believe it, girl. Hey, Josh, you got a timeline, bro. <laughs> My little girl wants to serve with daddy. And so I would love it one day for her to grow up and use her gifts. And, and we believe women can do a lot in the church. And we believe that this position could be a female, not just a man. So we wanted to change the title to be a director of worship position so that a man or a woman could apply for the position. Secondly, there's also a change in the job description. As we plan and prepare to be a multi-site church, this position will also oversee the worship in both campuses. And so we need this person to be able to focus solely on the task of leading our worship ministry. It'll be a lot and it'll be robust. So this person will not be the, an overseeing person who's responsible for all the vision and direction and where we're going uh, over a church. They're about executing the mission of God when it comes to our worship ministry as a church. So they're going to focus and they're going to need that as we prepare to multiply in campuses. So we just wanted to share with you. So the personnel team is leading that search process. We've been receiving resumes now. And, and, and we just want to share with you, we know that this is kind of new, and so though our constitution does not require a church vote for a non-pastoral position, when we find this candidate, we will present them to the church. They're going to come in. You can meet them, talk to them, hang out with them. Uh, they're going to lead worship one Sunday, and then we will vote on that person as a church. We just know this position is normally voted on, and so we don't want any weirdness, so the position will still be voted on, um, and we believe when God brings this person, it'll be evident, and the Lord will move. So be praying for the personnel team and the search for that process. Now, let's talk about multi-site for a second. I know it's time to go, but we've, been given, we, we've also talked a lot about what it means to be a church that it is outward focus and is accomplishing the mission of God. And we believe that one of the avenues that we can do that is by being one church in multiple locations. So we believe God has given us this vision as a group of pastors, but we also understand that it has to be, um, as a church family, if you will, it has to be embraced. Uh, we all have to hear that and say, you know what, okay. Because at the end of the day, the way that we accomplish the mission of God is when church members, every person, takes up the task of helping the church grow and succeed for the glory of God. So let's talk multi-site for a second. Multi-site is like now we have two services. We have a 9 a.m. and a 10.30. And so we began to think, what could, what, what's our next thing? Are we gonna add a third service? But as we began to study and, and look at data, we found that multi-site is shown to be more effective even than adding multiple services. And that churches of multiple sizes now are using it as a growth option and opportunity. As a matter of fact, what we found is that lay participation in churches that decided to go multi-site increased by 88%. Simply put, that we want more people to use their gifts for the glory of God. No more spectators. And so as we think about that and we look at being one church but have multiple locations for people to love and to grow and to sin, what we began to say is, how effective is this? And we wanna make sure that we can do this in a way that's healthy. And what we've come to find out is that 85% of churches that went multi-site have grown since starting another campus. You see, this is not just about new people. I think that's one of the misconceptions. Well, Jacob cares a lot about new people, but not about some of us that have been here. That is the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. Look, we have so many people that are gifted and so many people that can use their gifts that we believe that the capacity that we have at church is far more than we are currently 
executing. Simply put, we believe we can do more for the glory of God than we currently are. We do not want to drift to complacency. Amen, church? Man, we don't want to drift into complexity, and we don't want to drift into decline. We believe that if growth is going to happen, it will be by God's favor, by his strength, that the Lord doesn't build it, it labors in vain, yet it will be attached to our labor, and we are ready to work for the sake of the gospel. So it's not just about new people. It's about getting the most out of the people that we do have. We have proven that we can plant a church. Shirley Hills, 50-something years ago, was a church plant. We proved that we can, the average church plant lasts three years. We've proven that we can do that. We've proven as a church that we can sustain. Most churches haven't sustained. How many churches have died over that span of time? We've proven that. Now what we want to do is prove that with God's help and with his strength that we can now reproduce. That what God has done here, he can keep doing from generation upon generation upon generation until God calls us home. Now, I told you earlier, I will not always be right, but I'll always be real. So let me throw out some things about multi-site church as we think about being one church. So hear me, we are not starting a new church. This is is us, all right? This just like first service is not a new church. We are one church. So we're not starting a new church. We are creating a new space for our church to love and to grow and to send. I will be teaching in our, this, at our Shirley Hills campus, and then at the new place, it will be through video. So some of you are like, oh, I'll never do video. Here's what we have found. You can say, well, that'll never work in Warner Robins. Well, guess what? Statistically, all over the world, in different sizes and in different cities, from rural to medium to medium to big, it is working. It is not about the mode in which we attack it. It is about our humility and faithfulness to God before him. And so it will succeed if we successfully follow and pursue the Lord. Humble ourselves, then he moves. So one church, and so I'll teach through video. There'll be a campus pastor, a worship leader, and a children's leader at that campus. Okay, so worship leader, there will be a campus pastor. So a campus pastor will kind of be like a connections pastor, but a little bit different. And so that campus pastor will be there to shepherd, to love, to get to know, to help mobilize people through the love, grow, sin strategy, to move people from corporate worship into D groups and D groups into service. And so it'll be one, it'll just be another part of Shirley Hills there. They'll have a campus pastor, a worship leader. They will have live worship. The only thing video will be my, my preaching part that'll be part of that. Now, will there be a time where Jason preaches here and I go there? Absolutely. There's just gonna be a time where some of those things happen and we give them a little live feel. And so what we're saying is that we want to do whatever it takes to go all in to advance the gospel. Now, if you're watching online and you're saying, I'll never watch the video, think about that for a second. For y'all who are here, some of you will get that in a minute. Some of you here, you're like, man, I will never do that. Good, I'll see you here. We'll keep doing what God has called us to do right here. And so let me tell you what this process will look like. And so our aim is to make disciples. We wanna be deep, not just wide. So how are we gonna do this? As we want to grow larger yet stay small, we feel like this is a good option for us. So this Wednesday in our conference, a budget will be handed out uh, or you can grab. uh, And so the budget will be there. In this budget will be, what we need to start this campus. And so it'll be, it'll, that'll be for rent, because we wanna rent, we're not gonna build. We wanna uh, rent a place or facility. We do not have that place picked out yet, and I'll share with you kind of the order of what that's gonna be like. So um, you, in this, the budget for what we need will be in this budget. So on November the 15th, we will vote on our church budget following our Sunday morning worship service. So when you vote on the budget, you are voting on the resources that we will immediately begin to walk through going multi-site. And so as we think through that, what that's gonna look like, we realize that some of you have a bunch of questions still. I have questions, thoughts, concerns, fears, worries. I've heard this, I've heard that. First of all, I have no clue where some of these things come out, but we do wanna give you an avenue to be able to share it. So this Wednesday, we'll be releasing five times, five times, that you will be able to meet with me, someone from our personnel, someone from our budget and finance. Three of those will be in person. Two of those will be Zoom. 
So if you're online and you're like, man, I can't social distance, hey, let's Zoom it, all right? I'm, I'm trying to figure, I'm, I've got it down, let's Zoom. And so we will Zoom together, uh, and, and so you'll be able to sign up for that, and we'll have times where you can ask questions, concerns, worries, and we will talk those things out. You can ask other people than me. Some other pastors will be there. It'll be a good time. So you can ask all the questions that you got. We will vote on the 15th. If the budget is approved, then what will happen immediately is the leadership search team will then uh, we'll, you know, we'd recommend to them, you know, we, we want to find a campus pastor because the pastor, that has to be from a search team. So they will put together a search team. Once the church votes on the search team, we'll start searching for that campus pastor. As soon as we get the campus pastor, then we will begin with that person to work through the details of who is going to go. How can you sign up to go? How can you begin? That person will begin to disciple and prepare D groups and our strategic step-by-step process that we will do before we launch a new campus. So once campus pastors here, we'll begin this step-by-step of equipping volunteers to prepare for a new launch of that service. And we then will continue to work and labor right here for the sake of of the gospel. We'll let those dates come out that you can meet, ask questions, and go through before that process. So here's my question to you. You've heard the vision. The question that I have toward you is who will now embrace the vision? Who will say, Lord, here I am. Lord, I'm ready to use my gifts for your glory. Because as we launch out 50 to 75 people to start that, what's gonna be needed here is for new people to step in and say, okay, let's go. I'm ready to use my gifts and my talents. I'm ready to grow and and help people accomplish the mission of God right here, just like we are there. So as we close, simple. One church that loves, grows, and sins. And we want to keep doing it with no lid until Jesus calls us home. So who Who will go? Who will answer the call to say, God, Lord, here I am, send me. Send me within the Shirley Hills campus or send me within the one that you want to start. But no matter what, God, here I am. Church, hear me. This is not a time for fewer members. This is an opportunity for more people to use their gifts. Let me close with this. Specifically, I wanna speak to our senior adults. I think as we talk about new things, and we've had our share of new things, whether you consider yourself in the senior adult category or not, uh, some of you are in the category, but you don't want to admit that yet. So let me talk to where you are. I get that doing something new is, is difficult. It's hard. And I'm sure 50-something years ago, there were probably some that said, man, we don't know about starting a Shirley Hills church, and, and we're not sure about that. And many of you, you laid the foundation The reason that we are able to go. So young people, I want you to listen to what I've got to say. Just because senior adults like worship differently or dress differently does not make make them less spiritual, less godly, or less influential. Let me say it this way. Some of you young people are on fire and ready to start a new campus. They were the you 50-something years ago. They stepped in and pioneered, and, and they deserve us respecting and respecting who they are and loving them. Now, are there gonna be questions? Absolutely. And for some of you, it's like, "Mm, we don't wanna lose what God has given us. Church, hear what I'm about to tell you. The only way we lose what God has given us is to stop being faithful to the word of God. But when we follow God, he holds us together. He keeps us in the palm of his hand. And so to our senior adults, listen, I just want you to know, I know it's new, Uh, but as we walk through this, you're gonna get a budget. The budget that we're presenting, it's not insane. It's actually gonna be $150,000 smaller than this year's budget. So we have found ways to process and cut and and pull together our necessities and focus on what God has called us to do. We're gonna be a lean, mean, spirit-filled machine. Come on. That's right, I just broke out of cheers. We end our service. So that's the time to end. So church, you stand with me. Our praise team's gonna come. We're gonna have a time where we can respond. I know today was super long, but we wanted to end our our time and and answer questions. Some of you are here, God is saying, you know what, it's my time. I wanna use my gifts, let's go. Our altar's gonna be open. We're gonna sing and celebrate the gospel together, but maybe you're here, and what the thing that you keep hearing is that, man, before you can do anything, you have to be right with Jesus. Hey, we're gonna sing together, we're gonna have a time of response. Man, there's a phone number you can text. If you're online, we'd love to help you. Either follow Jesus, use your gifts, as a part of the uh, family of God at Shirley Hills, 
or maybe you just want to come and pray for your community. Our altar is going to be open. We're going to sing at the end of our service. Man, I'll see you in the connect room. Hey, we're going to sing together. Altar's open. You guys come.